0: And so I'm excited to be here today. Uh, as he was just talking about letting anxiety and stuff go in, the biggest way for me to let the anxiety I've been carrying for the past month or, or two go is for my wife to have this stinking baby. And she had this stinking beautiful baby on Friday, and so I'm a little less stressed. I was just I was waking up super early. This is Miss Elisha Taylor. Um, she is fresh. She is six pounds, zero ounces. She's probably lost a little weight by now. Elisha is a prophet in the Bible, and it means God is my salvation, and uh, uh, Elisha is often referred to because of the double portion, and so we're just praying double portion on her life, and uh, she's uh, definitely our triple blessing now. So we're thankful for her, she's a pretty little girl, and uh, I'm sure you'll get to meet her Uh, Next week, we just got her home last night at 7.30, so uh, it's cool to be home and sleep in her own bed, and so uh, Taryn sends her love, and she's doing well. Thank you, everyone, for the kind words and prayers and encouragement as she's kind of made it through this last push here, and uh, she did awesome. She's just a superhero of a mom and so proud to call her my own, and so as soon as the baby's born, you start looking at the baby, and you're trying to figure out who does the baby look like, Right. We've always done this and tried to figure out, does it look like mom or dad? There she is. Uh, She was not super happy in that moment. Um, But she's done really well. We think she kind of is like a mix of both of us. I don't know. We'll see. Um, But what was crazy is with Camden, our second um, born, he looks exactly like his mom, like when they were a baby. I don't have a picture. But this is me and Beckett when he was born. And we kind of, like you can't really tell us apart really, like if you had us in the, like we would get confused in the nursery if we were in the nursery at the same time. Um, yeah, the one on the right, the picture is me, and the, the one on the left is, is Beckett, my dad holding Beckett there. So it, it's just always really interesting when a child's born and how, what features come out looking. I immediately said, she's got detached earlobes, babe, because <laughs> I have detached and she has attached earlobes. So you look at all these intricacies. Oh, as we got home last night, we sat down on the couch to watch my favorite two teams play each other in preseason football, which isn 't the most exciting thing in the world. Um, but we sat down to, to watch it. My dad was in town. he actually took off this morning, and uh, I sat down, was tired, obviously exhausted for the past twenty four hours what that 's looked like and I threw my leg up on the coffee table and I put my hands behind my head and I just started to relax and look and my dad's you know on the other end of the couch, and uh, I realized his knees up on the on the coffee table as well, and he's chilling, and I start thinking, that's weird, my leg, the same leg up, we're kind of in the same position, and look, and he's got his hands back behind his head too, and I'm like, man, this is so crazy. Our whole life, uh, my whole life as I've walked, if people see me from behind, they're like, man, you walk just like your dad, you know, and now this, now having our our third child, it's just all this conversation about who looks like who, and just things that we take is so interesting. I thought that was such an apropos um, starter for our conversation today as we wrap up our series of Salt and Light, because we're supposed to look like our Father. We're supposed to look like our Heavenly Father, and this whole conversation, a few weeks ago we talked about race, the sacred beauty of race, and um, how we protect that, because it's it's sacred, and we looked at sexuality last week, and, and why we lift that up and don't dishonor or disregard God in regards to our sexuality, because that too is sacred, and I feel like the topic I want to talk about today is really about that that sacred beauty of all human life, and and I want to talk about justice and social justice. And many times this is kind of politicized, or it's kind of used as a side side kind of topic. But I really feel like it's the very core of what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to be a child of God, and to understand who he is and what he's called us to do. It's not like a side thing that we should do some projects or we should do good, but it's out of what God has done in us and out of who he has created us to be that we reflect him in our city. When Jesus gave his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5-7, um, through seven, he said, you are the salts of the earth. And he goes on to say, you are the light of the world, and it's that light shining through us, it's that saltiness of truth and grace lived out, that's like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, and so may we live those lives um, as we live out in this community. So I want to talk to us today really about, uh, about justice and social justice, and first question we got to ask is, what is justice? What is justice? Uh, we think of a court system immediately, but it's really just correct actions, Right actions, right to be done, right? I'd like justice to be served. I'd like things to be made right. And let me just go ahead and kind of give you a spoiler for the end of sermon. Jesus has made everything right. He's the only way for everything to be right. It's through him. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. Um, he's the gate. He's the light of the world. And so he's correct actions, and he teaches us what. That is So what is justice? It's the it's, it's right, right, same thing as righteousness. It's the right thinking, right actions that come out of that. And we have to ask ourselves, okay, because my correct actions, what I might feel guilty about or what I might think is right in a situation might not be what Jason or Samuel or Will or Paige or anybody else in the house might think we might have different ideas on what is right. And so we had this conversation a little bit last week, and we talked about really the only place, the only definer of justice, the definer of truth is God. In Him um, resides um, absolute truth and perfect morality, comes out of who He is. He defines truth. He um, he defines that. So, who is worthy to be, um, to decide that? It's, it's God and God alone. And, and I think in this idea, when we start talking about justice or social justice, we start wrapping our brain around, okay, is, should I be a, l- a little more conservative or should I be progressive? And we start thinking in political terms in this political season where it's like a political throw up everywhere you go, right? Uh, in this season, whether it's social media feed or the news or the campaign signs. It's just kind of throwing up. So we kind of figure out where do I I need to reside in here. And and what I want to encourage as we kind of think about what side we want to be on, what side of history. I want to be on God's side of history. I know how the, the story ends. And so let's live a life that we're always on his side right? Always asking God, what is right? What is true? What do you say about this, God? Not trying to go out of our own basis for moral truth, but only out of the perfect righteous judge in God, and Christ living that out. It, it, you always see that kind of maybe a corny kind of imagery, but it, it's good for this kind of gap that stood in the place, and Jesus the cross kind of bridged that gap. And so um, that, that's kind of the picture that we go into, this. that Jesus lived that out in his life and death and resurrection and made all things right. And so I want to talk about just living justly, living justly today and, and just what that looks like for us to to go out and be salt, to be light in matters of social justice. Because there's a lot of horrible things going on uh, in, in the world. Um, Slavery is still happen- happening happening. Um, we we just uh, raised an offering last week to send down to South Africa. Uh, Kim Coleman's down there on a, a trip, just there in South Africa, where thirty thousand babies in one province um, in South Africa are being abandoned every day. Thirty thousand, not every day. It, it, last year, thirty thousand babies, and so you gave towards that a couple times this year. So there's lots of terrible things going on in the world, and uh, a lot of hopeless places. A, a lot of. Uh, people that are hurting, and, and God's called us to to be a light and, and salt in those areas as well. And so, um, I don't know about you, but but as I kind of get awakened, I, I kind of I have lived in like a, a small suburban kind of bubble for, for many years in my life. And uh, I remember the first mission trip I ever went on, I went to Mexico, and I saw not American poverty, but I saw kind of people living in villages, and their prized possession was their big pig tied up in their backyard, which is like the back of like a dirt lot. Uh, or a person, their prized possession was a monkey attached in their front yard, and that was the prized possession in their hut. And my heart began to be opened up to the brokenness that's in our world. And, and now, having been all over the world, I've really seen it in every continent, in every country that I've been to, that there's this brokenness. And, and, and God's call to us is to rise up and to be a reflection of him as we defend the the helpless, as we show mercy to the oppressed and to be a light for him. And so I want to just talk to you f- four quick things today, and I'm going to try to be short because uh, I want to go home and kiss my baby. Is that okay? Is that okay? Um, I'm going to preach short today. I want to talk about living justly. Um, first of all, Micah 6 8 is just a powerful, powerful text, and it says, What does God require of you, O mortal? I think you've got the text up there. I love how it says, O mortal. He's shown you, O mortal, what's good, right? He's shown us what's good. It's these real basic things. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. Grab all those. I love that he starts with, O mortal, what's good? Why is he the definer of what's good? Why does he tell us? Because we're we're mortal. Like Anybody that thinks that they're a know-it-all and they've got it all figured out, um, good luck with that. Like, good luck with that. Like, I'm sure that'll end at some point, um, but but God is the, the ultimate definer of what's good and just, and, and it breaks it down here, the prophet Micah does. And what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to live out that justice, to do what is Right, and to, to not just do what's right, because it's, it's funny how we're, we are around justice. Like, we want justice to be served, except when it's our time in front of the judge. <laughs> A little mercy would be nice to Mr., right? That's really how we are. That person needs justice. We, justice needs to be served until it's something that we've fallen short on. And James says, like, the, the, the measure by which you extend that mercy will be the measure that's given to you. For, for those that have been given much, much is Required, right? Goes back to what's here: to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. Not that we have it all figured out, and understand that He is the one that defines that. So, living justice required. I love what how the prophet Isaiah really begins his um, his uh, prophetic letter here, his prophetic writings in v- uh, verse seventeen of chapter one. Learn to do right, to seek justice, to defend the oppressed, take up the case of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Isaiah was a is a prophet, and he, he's known as a, a suffering prophet. He's he he ran around for a couple of years, but naked. Yes, you heard that right, but naked because people were not listening to him. I imagine if I did that, I would have your attention, but on all the wrong things. So he he did he he the people would not listen to what God was saying, and he's like, try this, man, run around for a little while, you'll get somebody's attention. Um, But I love that he sets this up here because God's people have been oppressed. They have been in captivity. They have wandered around the wilderness. The Jewish people have seen oppression. Like think about in your own family what kind of injustices have been there. Maybe you've had a family member that was murdered. Um, Maybe you were fatherless. Maybe uh, you're a widow in the house or your mom or your grandmother was a widow. There's been some kind of injustice in all of our lives, in, in some way. And this, the beauty of what he's crying out to do is for us to learn, to learn this process, that we don't naturally come out of the gate having this all figured out, but we learn to do good. We learn what is right as we walk with the Lord. And, and we begin to have passion for the oppressed. Because before I went on that trip to Mexico, I walked the streets one way. And when I came back, I begin to view the person on the side of the street differently. And every trip I've ever been on that gets me out of my little comfort zone and my comfort bubble, and I learned about people that are oppressed and people that are hurting and broken, I just start to look at things differently. And and for most of us as as believers, social justice is like this side thing that we do with projects or mission trips. It's it's not a, a core being of who we are as believers, to reflect Him. And, and so it's, so how we can learn to to do right is one, walk with the Lord, read the Word, because it tells us all about it, read about the life of Jesus and who He defended and who He fought for and um, how He defended the um, oppressed and how He took up the case of the fathers and pleaded the case of the widow and how He honored those people. Look at those things and, and let Him teach us. Let Him teach us. Expose yourself to what's out there. I, I know if, if you're anything like me, when something is like heartbreaking on TV, I just want to change the channel. Like is anybody else like me? I'm just, over, like I just, right? I remember talking to a girl um, that uh, attended here for some time. I think she's moved or something now. but um, and, and she was just broken. She was just constantly broken. She's like, I can't have relationships anymore because I, I, I'm so Deeply merciful for every person that's in front of me. I'm like, that's a good thing, sis. It's a good thing, but it's really beginning to walk with the Lord and doing that in such a way and that we don't bear the burdens, but that we cast them on the Lord and point people to Jesus. And that's really what this is all about. So living justly is a required thing. It's not like a a side thing. We are a part of the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to do a series later, kind of in the political season called Kings and Kingdoms. I won't get into it today. Um, but we live in the kingdom of God, and we should be establishing that. My, I told you my two favorite football teams played last night. The Bucks did win, my, my hometown team. Uh, it's preseason, who cares? Um, but both of them have newer coaching regimes. They have young, talented quarterbacks. They're on the upswing of a rebuild, and uh, they've got lots of talent, lots of potential, um, but they both have been really bad for a, a kind of a long time. They haven't either one of them haven't won a playoff game in like eight, seven, eight or eight years. They've just been rough, right? Suffering Jags fans say amen, right? Any Bucks fans in here? I didn't think so, right? Couple, yeah, it's just me. Just me out here. Um and, and they've what happens is when a coach moves in, and I've been hearing Jameis Winston, who's the quarterback of the Bucks, and they've been talking about it. I've heard Gus Bradley, the coach of the Jags, been saying this a lot too. We've got to change our culture to a winning mentality, a winning culture. And, and the same is true, I think, within the, the global church, and let me say particularly the American church, we've got to change this culture of comfort, where it's all about our comforts, and it's not about us really being a reflection. Of God, and not where this is just kind of a side thing to us, but getting to a, a culture. And, and I think how it happens on a football team is the same way it happens in a church. And I know for a long time I was super jaded by the church, and because I, I felt like everybody was a hypocrite, and as um, one uh, songwriter of many years ago, when, you know, for those of you that kind of say, I don't go to church because it's a bunch of hypocrites. You just kind of say, "Yeah, I know, that's why I'm there." <laughs> that's, that's why I'm there is to confess that like, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And, and you know, I'm struggling with this, and that's why I need Jesus. That's why we need Jesus. That's what we come and confess every time, so I'm a hypocrite and I can't do this on my own. Um, <clears throat> but I think with these coaches, and same thing within the church, how does it happen? How does that culture change? One person at a time. One person at a time that their hearts begin to break. They get connected to the kingdom cause. The the words that the coaches put out there and what the kind of culture that we're creating. The kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. One person living that out at a time. This begins to happen. So I just want to kind of paint that broad picture. But that this is something that's required. This isn't an option for you as a child of God. I want to go to Matthew chapter 25. And this will be a little bit... um, uh, unnerving for some of you that have read this text one way your entire life, like me, or heard this text used only in one way, but I think it, if we 'll listen to it we 'll see it in way more cohesion to the rest of the gospel teachings and in the New Testament and the body of Christ that really the, the The second kind of point is living justly begins within the body of Christ, which I know kind of goes countercultural to how we think but let 's read this text in matthew twenty five a little context here is Jesus is getting ready to be arrested and go to trial, and they're going to have Passover. Like, this is kind of the end of of Matthew's gospel. Just before this, he's preached to the crowd. Jesus comes off the stage, basically, and is beginning to walk. They're like, let's get away from the crowd. They begin to walk. He's with his disciples, and he kind of draws them close. They ask him a question about the end times, right? Everybody's always got a question about the end times to bring to the preacher. And so that's what they do to Jesus. Like, how's this thing going to unfold? Like, what's going on? Things feels like something's coming close. And Jesus draws him close and he begins to preach a private sermon to just the disciples after he's preached to the crowd. And he says this, when the son of man comes in his glory and the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. This is Jesus's words about what it's going to be like. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep From the goats. Jesus' words here. He will uh, put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Sheep followers. Uh, Then uh, the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Keep going. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you? I love how he calls them the righteous because he's, he's kind of talking to them. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see, a, a, see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least Uh, of these brothers and sisters of mine you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. He continues on. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did uh, not do for one of the least of these you did not do for me, they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Okay, why did I read all that? Because most of the time when we read this, we read that last little bit, whatever you've done for the least of these, and what do we immediately think about? We think about people in prison, we think about all those things. But if you go back up, kind of into the middle of there, the first time he, he refers to the least of these, brothers and sisters of mine. And Jesus is building on an argument where he's constantly been referring to brothers and sisters. And when he's talking about brothers and sisters, he's talking about those within the body of Christ. And so most of us, everybody, we view this out of this idea of the, the least of these um, kind of outside of the body of Christ, right? Those that are poor, those that... Um, uh, or a stranger, or in prison, or, or whatever, but Jesus is first referring, and I think it builds on theologically everything else that, that's taught in the New Testament, that it happens in here first. That this is a breeding ground to be a reflection of God's love for one another, and it builds every single time that Jesus has been using brothers and sisters, he's been using it about the body of Christ, and so he's building on that idea, and I think it, it, it's Something that that kind of builds into a way that it explodes into the streets. That that becomes natural because here's what's happened. We found there's kind of been a a major breakdown in the evangelical voice of the church. uh, That we've lost our evangelical voice and that breakdown within the community is the lack of love and justice within our own fellowship. There's a lack of love and justice and care for the people that are in this room between one another. Okay? I think in small segments it happens, but as a general rule, we'd much rather do this Christianity body of Christ thing on our own. We would much we feel way more comfortable with that because I don't want to have to let anybody, I don't want to let anybody know that I'm a stranger. I don't even want to let anybody know that I'm broke. I don't want to let anybody know I'm going to prison. <laughs> I don't want to e- even do that. And so we've made this faith kind of just, uh, me and Jesus got our own thing going on, and that's not what we see in the New Testament. That's not what we see in the New Testament. And so... Um, I think until we really get to the place where we, we take care of the body of Christ, we'll simply feed the mouth and clothe the body of the unbeliever and we'll never have a healthy place to point them to be nourished spiritually. Your gifts that God has put in your life, how he's created you, are, are, are not just for a successful career, right? Right? your spiritual gifts that the Spirit of God has, has placed inside of you that are just slowly being uncovered or, or maybe they're walking and functioning now. Those gifts, they're, they're not just for your glory or for anyone to say, hey man, you really are a great leader. You've really got great skills like with these kids. Like you really connect with them or um, you're so hospitable. What an incredible gift. That's not for your glory and for your fame. It's for the kingdom of God. It's for the body of Christ. Go to uh, Ephesians chapter 5, go to Romans chapter 12, go to 1 Corinthians 12, and all these talks about gifts are about the body of Christ. They're about the body of Christ. What God is giving you is for the body of Christ, and it's from that place because what happens is we go out and we evangelize and we point people to a church that's no longer as healthy and nourished as it ought to be. Because we're just kind of doing this thing on our own and we're not properly caring for one another. And so you, you can kind of be like, man, I've never understood that scripture and kind of push back from that as I did initially because I'm like, man, I've never read it like that. I want to push back. But as you begin to think about it, Jesus said in John chapter 15, they would know you by your love for one another. You, they would know you're my disciples by how you treat each other. And so but before we kind of get super pumped about going out into the streets and doing lots of incredible social justice things and standing up for the poor and the powerless or the fatherless, whatever, like, look around you for a second. There's a lot of injustice in this house. There's love and care and concern that needs to happen right on your row or in the seat right across from you. Right in this house, and that's, that's Jesus' first thing here. There's a lot more there. There's a lot more here. I don't want to spend all day on that, but I, I think it's important that we get that. We've got to care for the body first, so that when we go out and like this just it overflows, and people begin to hear about the love and care. Man, they, they genuinely care for each other. They're not just doing their religious thing and taking communion, and singing nice songs and kind of feeling good about life. They're really living this out. This is a place that you can call home. You can grow in that faith. And so I think as we kind of build on that, then we can point people to a healthy vessel, a healthy place where they can be spiritually nourished and brought up with spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers, um, brothers and sisters surrounding them and encouraging them and, and people using their gifts within the body of Christ. I think we get worried about the evangelism thing and the so- social justice thing. And I, I just, I, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love that he, he always is, is wanting to meet the need, but it's never just about the physical need. And I think living justly and walking in social justice, standing up for the, the defenseless, it's evangelism by nature, right? We're, we're, it's a reflection of God's love for all of creation, that that's over every single person that's been oppressed, that injustice has been done to, we step in and show mercy and show care. It's evangelism by nature in just doing that because we're pointing to God's love. When we stand and act for justice, the poor, the oppressed, the enslaved, we point to God's care, concern, and design for all of those made in His image. I, I, I love the picture, and I'm just going to refer to it today in John chapter 4 of this Samaritan woman, a woman of a different uh, race, and a woman with kind of a, a rough past and reputation. Uh, she, was, she slept around a lot and uh, has had a lot of husbands, a lot of failed marriages, and um, now she's living with another guy that's not her husband, and Jesus doesn't, you know, try to beat her up about it, but, he, you know, he says, hey, she's going to the well kind of in midday, which she wanted to avoid all the, all the women early in the morning. That's usually when they went to the Well. Um, when we were down in Guatemala, they have something called pia's or pilas, and they go out very early in the morning, they wash clothes in these little tanks, and um, they do it early in the morning, they go out there before it gets the heat of the day, the same thing back then, they're at this well, she's out there midday, obviously trying to avoid kind of gossip of of women, and Jesus meets her, and and like, hey, like, keep getting this water, this is good, this is good, he said, but do you want to know about living water, and he kind of just throws this question out, and she's like, huh? And she's intrigued because this is exhausting. This lifestyle, this kind of journey she's been on, this constant up and down, probably journey in her life, it's exhausting, and Jesus offers her living water. He said, "I'm, I'm right in front of you. I'm right in front of you. And what's beautiful is after she experiences that, she experiences Jesus in that very moment, in that personal encounter. Evangelism just naturally happens. It just natu- she sprints back home let me tell you about this man who told me everything about my life he showed me purpose he showed me that I've been kind of wasting my time and she was just so fired up she was like setting fire to her hometown these people that knew where she had been and the transformation in her life was a testimony and evangelism in itself I mean with feeding the 5,000 Jesus didn't want to send them home he didn't just want to get up and preach that day he's like let's feed them like, these people are hungry let's feed them So let's never forsake the tangible in giving and taking care of um, people inside the walls and out, um, but never, I I think we do people a disservice when we offer only the physical water, but never bring up the living water, right? We can clothe people and feed people all day long, but why are we holding the living water in the back pocket like, no, this is just for me, this ain't for you. When that one kind of conversation, that one question, like, do you want to know the truth about something that can set you free from that addiction? Do you, I mean, just a simple question, and just like, huh? Yeah, I'd love to be free. Yeah, w- w- would you like to, to know about something deeper that can sustain you through the darkest valleys of life? Would you like to know and have security for your soul? And those questions that, that lead, that's, Jesus did it in that, in that fashion, and it opens people up, because people are hungry. And Jesus began to talk, the time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. He says, open your eyes, look at the fields, they're white. They're ripe for harvest. And in a time where there's a lot of, you know, just kind of anti-religious talk and maybe even anti-Christian stuff, we're all just bigots, right? Um, and that type of, of political and, and media culture that we live in, I, I think the fields are ripe for harvest, I think there's a lot of people, because it's the real deal, it's the truth, and I think when we bring that to people and we stand up for what's right and meet them where they're at, um, it's evangelism by nature. And and let me just kind of share some personal experience here. Um, The church we used to minister at um, years ago uh, in another state, uh, we were worship pastors there, There was a lot of foot traffic, people that were homeless and were coming by the church, and I'd kind of grown accustomed to how to handle and deal with that. Down here in the suburbs, we don't deal with it as much, but we deal with it um, a decent amount. And um, I don't know how many times it's happened in the past year that somebody comes up after service, before service, usually on Sundays, they'll think they'll catch somebody here, uh, or maybe even during the week while I'm here, and um, they'll come and and need some help. And and so many times, there was a guy, I was mowing the, the grass the other day, and uh, he's been out working all day long, just trying to, t- he wanted to mow my grass for me, he's like, man, can I get just some money just to get milk and stuff for my kids, I got a brand new baby, and you know, you've been there before, someone asks you for help, and you kind of begin to think through the process, like, right, what are you going to use this for, right, can I, is this guy trusted, do I have the money, do I really want to, you, you ever been, you've been there, right, you kind of run through all these questions, and kind of doing some heart searching, and different things, and, and this guy, you know, i, I Obviously, I went inside and got him some money and, and gave it to him. Like, you're not going to mow my grass, man. I got it. And get home to your kids. Go get the milk and, and take care of them. And just had ended up having a great conversation with him. Find out that he he does know the Lord and is really trying hard and and working. And um, you know, it's funny in every single conversation, somehow it comes up that I'm a pastor. I don't offer it, but it comes up at some point. And you know, begin to talk to him, and they're like, "Yeah, man, I'm going to be there next Sunday. Right? I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there." And I've heard that like a dozen times. And um and I rarely see somebody you know come through you know and it 's not it 's not about that I think at the end of the day it 's about doing what 's uh, doing what 's right in front of us giving i i 've seen transformation in some people really close to me that used to hold their wallet really tight, used to hold you know giving and helping people really tightly and i 've watched God transform them it 's really powerful that like man every time someone 's there they don 't even care they 're not even thinking through the process. just like bam given it. And it goes far beyond the poor. It goes far beyond the homeless. Um, it, it, it goes in just the, the, the way we live, our attitude of prayer. And, and let me just tell you um, this morning I woke up to a text of a family who's living in their car and is just looking for shelter. And so if you get passionate about this and something re- resonates in your heart and you just want to help them figure it out, you don't have to be a house for them. Um, I can give you somebody's number that can find it today, so let me know about that after service. Okay, let me just give somebody a tangible opportunity to step out and be this for somebody. Um, And and I think if when we really open our hearts in that, it it just happens. Evangelism happens by nature. And we we just don't hold this card back any longer. Let me begin to close. Living justly is, is followed by blessing, and it's a really, really powerful, beautiful thing that God blesses this because it's close to his heart that we reflect him and we live out the, the truth that he's placed inside of us and, and the grace that he's, he's shown us, that we begin to live that out. There's blessing that follows that. Look at what Psalm 106 says. It's really beautiful. Blessed are those who act justly. Just that simple. Blessed are those who act justly and who always do what's right. How about you? I haven't always done what's right. I could list you a bunch of things, but I'll save you the time. And I'll save um, me the embarrassment. I've done a lot of things I'm not proud of. They just start going through my head, and I'll be here all day if I keep thinking about them. Um Blessed are those who, who do what's right and who act justly. God, there's blessing that follows that. I, I, one of the most beautiful, powerful texts, that I think, for us to end on today is Isaiah 61. Isaiah chapter, chapter 61, kind of going back to him. Uh, I think I've got that up there. Isaiah is prophesying about Israel who is in captivity. And he says this, The Spirit of the the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness um, for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The the oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord. Let me just stop there. We're going to keep reading it and get really where I want to get on this. Some things that have been planted in your heart, maybe it's suffering, maybe it's an encounter with social justice that was right in front of your life, or maybe it's injustice that's been done to you. I believe that at some point, it's like you will not let that that squelch the spirit in you and squelch the faith in you, you're going to rise up just like Israel, who has been in oppression and who has been in slavery. And you'll rise up and you'll be called an oak of righteousness. And that favor will be, and instead of mourning, there'll be joy. Instead of ashes, there will be beauty, a crown of beauty. And maybe you've just kind of accepted the mourning. Maybe you've just accepted the depression. Maybe you've just accepted the ashes but know that, that, that God's come to proclaim good news. Jesus proclaims the same thing that he has come. The Spirit of the Lord is on him and he fulfills this very prophecy here. Let's move on and finish out the text and talk about blessing. For the display of his splendor, not for your glory, but for his, that, that everything that you've come through, everything injustice that's happened in your life or that you've experienced is not for you, but it's that you might be an oak of righteousness that points to him. That'd be a reflection of him, the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. For that that's resonating with someone, there's been ancient ruins in you emotionally since your mom and dad when you were a kid. It may go back to your grandparents, it may go back generation upon generation, and that you just look at them like ruins. But just like Like Nehemiah, who God called him out to rebuild those walls. I believe that God wants to rebuild those in you and restore the places long devastated, that they will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks, foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord, and you will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, You will rejoice in your inheritance and so you will inherit a double portion in your land and an everlasting joy will be yours. Let me finish it out here. Um, "For For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people, make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people, the Lord that's blessed. I know that's long, but it's powerful. And I'd I'd probably sell it short and just say there's a few people that are going through this, so I'm not going to do that. I I feel like all across this place, like there's something that God wants to speak into each one of our lives in regards to your purpose and what this is all about. Um, and what you've gone through, maybe the injustice or maybe the shortcomings that, that you've battled. Um, and I believe that, that God wants to turn y- your ashes into joy. He wants to turn your mourning into joy, to a crown of beauty. That which the enemy has tried to squelch out and kill in you, God's going to use and, and let it grow up into a great oak of righteousness. And I'm just believing in this house that for someone that that is just says, you know what, I'm not going to make this doing right thing, walking with the Lord, I'm not going to make it about my own opinion, I'm just going to walk with Him, I'm just going to trust Him in the next step. And I think that's where some of us are today, that maybe there's just, what's that next step, right? It's kind of overwhelming to think about all this. It's overwhelming to think about all the injustice in the world. And simply, Mother Teresa said it very well, that we can do no great things, but we can only do small things with great love. Right And and so I, I think that's maybe the best way for us to kind of wrap this today, is to know that don't be overwhelmed with the whole grand scope of the kingdom. How does the culture change from kingdom of earth to kingdom of heaven on earth? How does it happen one person at a time? getting it and walking it out faithfully and understanding that he is doing a much greater work in you and that even the things that have injustices that have been done to you the things that weren't there, oppression that you've gone through or that's been around you, that I know that God's going to bring something new for his glory for his renown, for his splendor and use that in in our lives today I love Amos the prophet Amos he said this Amos chapter 5, verse 24. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. The reason I pull this up is not necessarily for the text that talks about justice, but because of who Amos is, right? When we talk about doing all these things, we think of great kind of political leaders or religious leaders that stand in the gap when it comes to injustice. Amos wasn't a priest. He wasn't well-known. He was a sheep herder. He just pushed sheep around all day long just slapped them and cared for them that's what a sheep herder really does they correct people they love their sheep they get to know their sheep they name all their sheep they count their sheep right um, and I think this is a great place for us to identify right may not feel like a priest may not feel like a prophet may not feel like we're walking in that whole minister of God thing that Isaiah prophesied and the that I believe is a, a fulfilled in the body of Christ and who we are called to be as ministers of God, reconciling people to their Savior or pointing people to Jesus simply. Amos was just a sheep herder. And so as we go and live and we do what's right and we act justly and we love mercy and we, and we walk humbly, let's just care for the sheep. Just care for one another. Right? We don't have to make this more complicated than what it is. Jesus said, All the law, all the prophets hangs on these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. Seconds like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus ramps that up at another point, right? He said, Don't just love those who love you and take care of you. Everybody does that. Love even your enemies, right? So, all across this place, what I'd like to do, how I'd like to end, I'm gonna invite you to the table in just a couple of moments, but I'd like for you to stand. I'm going to pray, and I just want you to close your eyes and just ask the Lord, just kind of what's going on? God, what are you trying to say to me? And uh, I'm going to pray for us and, uh, and offer you an opportunity just to respond today. God, I thank you for this time. God, I thank you for your holy word, God, and I thank you most importantly that you're a God of justice. You're a God of justice, God. You define what's right, God, and every... Wrong that's happened in this life will be made right. God, every piece of darkness will be made light. God, every injustice is corrected in Jesus. God, I, I pray in this house for those that there's been much wrong to us, God, that we would forgive those, even those our enemies, God, we would forgive them. Those that have come against us, that who have worked against us, who have hurt us in some way, God, that you would work in us healing and forgiveness. God, in this time right now, we're all dealing with this at different levels, but help us get the simple gospel message to walk with you, to be a reflection of you, to be salt and light in the darkest places of our world. God, whether it's in our workplace or our homes or uh, uh, impoverished communities all around the world or in the city, God, help us to be a light. Help us to be a city on the hill. Help us by our love for one another to be a reflection of your goodness and grace and help that bleed out everywhere into the city and everywhere we go that we'd be the salt of the earth that we'd be the light of the world Christ name me pray